Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Um, it's all good back here. This is the bouncy house that's coming. It's coming over to preach with windows behind you. When I was in California, I uh, preached at this church, and it was this, this uh, church that had huge, big windows, big, gorgeous windows. And I tell you, once a year, it always happened, be preaching, and I hear this loud, bam! And some bird had flown into the window and was flopping on the ground. Sermon was over. Just done. Right? Couldn't do anything after that. So this isn't so bad. So I want to encourage you uh, to open your Bibles. There should be some Bibles in the chairs right there underneath there. And we are taking a look at a very unique text today from John chapter 8. And if you open your Bibles there, it's page 1059 in this Bible. If you brought your own Bible, I don't know what page it's on. It's John chapter 8, starting with verse 1. And there's something very unique about this text. Page 1059, John chapter 8. Here's the text. It starts out this way. The earliest and most reliable manuscripts and other ancient witnesses do not have John 7:53 through 8:11. Let me repeat that. The earliest Bibles don't have these verses. It's kind of weird, huh? This only happens two places in the Bible. Once is here, the other is at the end of the Gospel of Mark. And when people have looked back and said, you know what, the earliest manuscripts don't have this. Later manuscripts do, the earliest ones don't. Weird, huh? In fact, this reading doesn't show up in the manuscripts until about the 400s AD. Until then, we don't see it. Weird. So what we're going to talk about here is what we call textual criticism, which is a study of the Bible and how we got it. And so the books of the Bible, New Testament, were written down. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, these guys saw Jesus, they walked with Jesus, they wrote down what they saw and heard. And then it would get passed along, and then passed along, and then passed along. You might think, this sounds like a game of telephone gone bad. Because you know what happens when you pass along a message, and someone else passes along a message, and someone else passes along a message, and, and pretty soon you've got the wrong message. It's a fear, isn't it? A lot of authors in recent years have made a lot of hay saying exactly that. You can't trust the Bible. Because it's been passed on too many times. We first got our printed Bible from a printing press in 1516 A.D. from a guy named Erasmus. So everybody say, yay, Erasmus. Yay, All right, fantastic. So until then, the Bible had been handwritten for about 1,500 years, just hand-copied. The first copies were written on what was called papyri, which is like a paper-like substance made from a plant called papyrus that grows around in Egypt. And so they, that's how the first copies were written down. The second section of copies were called uncials. 
and they were written down, hand copied, and a parchment, a little bit more durable than the papyrus. And they were called the uncials because in that style of that time, it was all uh, capital letters and no spaces between the words. <laughs> so you know when your angry friend texts you using all caps? It looked like that, but not angry. The second group of manuscripts are called uh, minuscules because they were written using lowercase letters. You get minuscules like that? <laughs> nice. And then the fourth group of, of documents are called lectionaries because they were written not in the order that we have in the Bible, but they were written in order of Sunday readings. So they would have a section from the Gospel, a section from one of Paul's letters, and maybe a section from the Old Testament reading, the lectionaries. Okay? So if all those manuscripts combined, there are 127 papyri. 127 copies. Some of those fragments are very small. The smallest is a little piece, the Gospel of John, that dates to 180, called Papyri uh, 120, I believe. Some of those Papyri, whole New Testament. There are 322 unshul texts, the large capital case letters. There are 2,907 minuscule texts, the lowercase letters. And there are 2,445 lectionary texts. For a grand total, 5,801. 5,801 handwritten copies of the New Testament that we have in existence today. So far, they keep finding more. Let me put this in perspective. There are 10 existing manuscripts of Julius Caesar's Gallic Wars. Ten. We know Julius Caesar was around 0 AD. The earliest manuscript we have of those histories is from the 10th century. I'll give you another comparison. We have two existing manuscripts of Tacitus's histories. Tacitus wrote around 100 AD. And of those two manuscripts that we have, the earliest is from the 9th century. And yet the vast majority of what you learned in history class about ancient Rome come from those two manuscripts. There are 5,801 manuscripts of the New Testament. It's impressive. The vast majority of manuscripts provides a problem, though. Because there are lots of variants. There's lots of discrepancies between one text and a different text and a different text and a different text. Because imagine if you were handwriting the Bible. You were handwriting the entire New Testament. You might misspell a word or two. You might skip a word or two. Your eyes might skip down a line. Or you might repeat a line. And sure enough, the scribes did that. That happened a lot. They'd look at it go, and they'd misalign and things like that. And so we know that one of the best texts we have in the Bible uh, was found. It's called Codex Sinaiticus. was written, was discovered in late 1800s on Mount Sinai, on St. Catherine's Monastery there. And the guy who wrote that was a bad speller. <laughs> it was just a poor speller. Go figure. But the manuscript dates to 2nd century. Nope, 3rd century. So we have all these manuscripts. We can compare them all and say, 
okay, these are different here, these are different here, but they all have this in common, this is the text. And they compare them all together, and they say, we know with a 99.9% .9 accuracy the original text, because we have so many copies to compare from, from different time zones and different locations. Jerusalem, Alexandria, Rome, Antioch, all these places where lots of texts were discovered. And you put, it, put them all together, and you have the Bible that we have today. And the Bible we have today is a document you can trust. Because where you have manuscripts, where you have texts that are just a little bit late, too late, that just don't seem to quite fit, the Bible tells you. And that's what we have today. So why preach on it at all? Why preach on a text that is probably not in the original document? And there's a couple reasons. One, we're pretty sure it's, it's a recording of what Jesus did. Even though it wasn't written in John's original gospel, we're pretty sure this actually happened. And we're pretty sure for a couple of reasons. One, it's countercultural. It's not the thing you'd expect to be written around 400 AD. Because the attitude toward people who committed adultery at that time was the same as today, except, you know, a lot worse. Jesus is very kind and gracious here. It's countercultural. You wouldn't expect it to be written. The second thing is this, is that um, it appears in early church father Papias. So Papias writes around 100 AD, and he talks about a story very similar to this one. So we believe it had been handed down, it had been passed down generation to generation, and then someone said, let's put it in, and added it to the Gospel of John. And so let's take a look at this text. I need to grab the, the preaching there, I forgot to grab it. Thanks. says this. At dawn, Jesus uh, again appeared in the temple courts where all the people were gathered around him. He sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. How scary. And they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So we have an interesting text here. And Jesus is in the temple courtyards teaching. And it's an odd thing, because they bring this woman before him. And they say, the law of Moses says she must be killed. What do you say? It's an odd situation because the law of Moses says both should be punished, the man and the woman. But they only bring her. So you know something fishy is going on. It's in the temple courtyard. So they are literally under the watch of the Roman soldiers who have a guard post watching over the temple courtyard. And they're testing Jesus. If Jesus says, yes, follow the law of Moses, then Jesus is now in trouble with the Roman authorities. 
Because they overrule, they have a ruling over uh, judgment and justice, and especially capital punishment. If Jesus says, no, 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 don't do it, now he's discredited as a rabbi in front of the people. It's a tricky one. It's also, to be quite honest, pretty petty, isn't it? Oh, let's trick Jesus. Let's get him in trouble. You're like, oh, these Pharisees, they were losers. What's going on here? But let's be honest. Don't we act the same way sometimes? You know, if someone does something that hurts you, or is meant to get at you, and their first thought is just, man, I'm going to get him back. You know, it's like, oh man, he did that to me. Man, he's getting decaf in his coffee tomorrow. I'm going to set him straight, you know. Don't laugh, I've heard it before. <laughs> she did that to me? I had a splitting headache all day. <laughs> all right, here comes the silent treatment, honey. Get ready for it. We do it all the time. All the time. Most conflicts, and this is true of marriages, and it's true of nations, most of the time, they don't begin with something big. It's a lot of little things, and they add up, and they add up, and they add up, and then all of a sudden something big, ugly, and nasty takes place. And you point to that as a cause, but that's not really the cause. The cause happened months, maybe years ago. This is how World War I happened. World War I took place because a lot of little things added up and no one could stop it. That was World War I. And World War II happened because of World War I. And lots of little slights just added up and pretty soon millions are killed. It's the same for nations. It's the same for marriages. And so how do we get out of the revenge rut? How do you switch from, oh man, I want justice, to fixing this? Jesus has the answer. We read this in the next verses here. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger, like just writing in the dirt. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. We have no idea what he wrote. Wouldn't that be awesome to know what he wrote? We have no clue. Lots of guesses. Some think he was writing down the Ten Commandments. Like, all right, here's some commandments. You without sin throw the first stone. Oh, let me remind you of the commandments once again. Some think he I was actually writing down their particular sins, just in the dirt. Some think he was writing, let him who has without sin cast the first stone. Some think he wrote that. We don't know. Whatever it was, it worked. It worked really well. Because at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. This is how we get out of the revenge rut. And the first step is this. 
the first step towards forgiveness is remembering that you are a person in need of forgiveness. It's the first step. You can't go further without that step. And when I say that, it's not to excuse something that someone has done to you or said to you. It's not to pretend that it didn't hurt or that there was nothing wrong with it. That's not the case at all. But the first step is to remember that you also are a sinner and in need of forgiveness. Because without that, you'll never be able to extend grace. Without that, your first step will always be towards revenge or judgment or condemnation. It will always be. That's the first step. It's hard. It's hard. But there's one person in this group of people who has the right to throw the first stone. There is one group, there's one person in this group of people who has the right to throw every stone. And it's Jesus, and he refuses to do it. Instead, he says this. Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. And here's the theme for today. If you forget everything else, remember this. Grace first and ask questions later. It's the complete opposite of what we've been taught. Because you've been taught shoot first and ask questions later. That's what you've been taught. Grace first and ask questions later. It's hard. What we want to hear is we want to hear a really good apology. Just give me a really good apology and then I'm going to forgive you. And Jesus doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't make her say, now, what you did was kind of stupid. Are you sorry for what you did? Do you feel bad for what you've done? Now that you've gotten caught. Now tell me how it's not going to happen again. Okay, I forgive you. Jesus doesn't go there. Jesus instead says to her, you are forgiven. Neither do I condemn you. He says grace first. And you've all been there. You've all been in the place where you've had to forgive someone who wasn't sorry. And it's hard. It might be the hardest thing to do. Jesus doesn't. He does it for her. He's done it for you. I know he's done it for me. And it's because he loves you. So grace first. And ask questions later. He says to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. This is the great thing about Jesus. He, he loves her. 
And so he sets boundaries on her behavior because he loves her. He doesn't say to her, go, uh, neither do I condemn you, see you later. He doesn't say that because he loves her. Jesus never calls what is wrong right. He never does because he loves you too much to do it. Imagine, imagine that you are a parent and that you have a precious little one. And this precious little one takes a wiffle ball bat and whacks you in the kneecap. And you say, I forgive you. Love of my life. Light of my eyes. You precious little creature, you. Have a nice day. Now go hit your brothers now, right? No way. Jesus forgives. And then he says, okay, because I love you, this is what I want to see from you. Love is to forgive. But it's also set those boundaries on behavior. And here's the trick. Because if you set the boundaries on behavior before you forgive, be like, all right, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you and then when you start acting right, then maybe you're worthy of grace. Jesus does the opposite. It's grace first. Ask questions later. And this, my friend, is one of the hardest things I've ever said to you guys. But I thank God Jesus did it for me. He did it for you. Because he loves you. It's why we start every worship service. We start with a song because it's a good way to start. And then we go right into let's confess our sins. Let's do it right now. Let's receive God's forgiveness right now because we can't go on without that. Grace first, we ask questions later. And my prayer for you is that you would share that. You would demonstrate that at home, at work, your families. It's hard. I'm going to warn you right now. It's hard. I'll also tell you this. It's the only way that works. And Jesus did it for you. Because he loves you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord God. Lord, um, we talk about grace. We name our kids grace. <laughs> we talk about people being gracious and graceful even. But Lord, when we get right down to it, grace is hard. Remind us, Lord, that we are forgiven sinners. Remind us, Lord, daily of your incredible love and grace for us. And may your reminders, Lord God, overflow in our hearts, our minds, our words. 
so that we share grace with those around us, <laughs> even those who don't deserve it, because we don't deserve it. Thank you for your grace. Amen. Amen. Amen.